0: Well, good morning, church family. Morning. It is good to see many of you. I took a couple weeks off uh, and uh, felt appreciated to to do that. So thank you for um, your grace and just uh, continued prayer for our family. It was a staycation, which can sometimes be unsuccessful. But it was a good time to just rest and a reminder that we all need rest, uh, especially in our season now. Um, but it was really good, and uh, I, I mentioned this to the first service crowd. Part of the really good was being able to last Sunday go and to celebrate uh, my mentor in ministry, his last Sunday in full-time ministry, just listening to him preach again and being able to celebrate that with him. Um, I was just reminded of how uh, I actually told him this that day, which I would tell you, uh, anything fruitful about my ministry is in a lot of ways credited to him. So uh, you can write him a little note thanks too want his address, I'll get it for you later. Um, but uh, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 146. Um, if, if you haven't been paying attention in our world, uh, there's a thing happening in a couple days, a thing. And so I, I've been meaning to prayerfully discuss this thing in where our world is and turn our attention towards um, what's going on culturally around us. And uh, I feel like 2020 is that year, right? You're, everybody's talking and just the baby, you're just like crying in the background, right? Just like we saw the Clydes. That's how this whole year feels in some way. But thank God we have the truthfulness of his word to bring us and center us in on who he is and what he does. And so I want to read this text, but before we do, if you're new here... Uh, We at Real Hope recite an affirmation about this time in the Word, about the Spirit, about what we believe as a community of people of God to trust in this book more than just going through the motions of reading it because it's church on Sunday, but actually it gives us life. And so we affirm it by saying this. Let's say it together. Our pursuit is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the Word of God. We'll embrace it as truth. No matter how painful it is to our souls, or countercultural, is to our souls, we will follow the King. Pray that's just what we do. Well, this is Psalm 146. If you have in your Bibles a heading, mine says, put not your trust in princes. And I'm going to read all 10 of those verses, and then I'll just give you 10 things from Psalm 146, and we'll spend some time um, praying afterwards and taking the Lord's Supper. This is what the word of the Lord says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Well, I invite you to pray if you've never done that. It's a really simple prayer that you just ask God to speak. Uh, You've just heard his word spoken, and now we want to make sense of it all as God's spirit moves in us to teach us what God desires. So you pray and I'll pray for us collectively as a people as we come to God's word this morning. Father in heaven, you are gracious to reveal yourself to us through your word. And it is truth. No matter what the world believes about absolute truth and your word being truth, it is true and right and good for us to come today and to hear these words Your word transcends every culture, circumstance, season, generation, any political climate, Father. And so we pray now that you would speak to our hearts directly and that we would glorify the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray And all God's people said. As I mentioned, I think it's fair to say that 2020 has been a little bit of a crazy year. Would you agree? A year that many of us at this point kind of we think like we're rounding a corner to the end of a calendar year. But we in reality know there's probably things that will continue. No we're sight, sight, if you will. And I've heard people say oh 2021. I'll be like oh well we'll see. But we're living today. And we're two days away from what some people have called the most important election in U.S. history. And most of you know this, that I am not politically driven or focused from the pulpit, especially. And for some of you, that's very refreshing. And for some of you, if we're being honest, that's just plain annoying and frustrating. Because you wished I talked about it more because it's so uh, involved in our world right now. But you see, that's not my role as a preacher. My role is to bring God's word forth But I have to just tell you, I too am constantly, as a Christ follower, caught in the tension of living in dual citizenship, which is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as a Christ follower and a citizen of the United States of America. And believers hold that dual citizenship. And within that, there is tension. But let me be clear. In Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. The scriptures are clear. That the world, the earth is not our home when you've been saved and redeemed. That being said, I simply can't ignore the amount of focus that has been placed and will be placed on many of us in the next two days and days after. So I'm not going to dismiss it, pretend that it doesn't exist as much as I would like and maybe you would too. I know that some have really strong opinions about it and some several convictions and some of us are just plain confused about what are we to do come Tuesday. Or though in this culture, you've already done maybe what you're wondering what you should do, mailing that in. But that's why I was prayerful and mindful about the choice of text from God's Word this morning. You see, some have said this is the most important election that our country has ever faced. And I would say, well, I don't know that to be completely true. If you look back and you know a little bit of U.S. American history, 1844 and 1860 were also really big elections. And I bring those up because it gives us some perspective Those were elections about land acquisition and, of course, slavery, and you can do your homework on your own. But I bring those up because it's just perspective. That was 176 years and 160 years ago, and guess what? We're still kicking. At the time, those people probably thought, well, this is it. This is it. This is our country hanging in the balance. Seven generations removed from that, and we've still been up and down in that. Why? Because kingdoms have risen and fallen and they'll continue to do so until the Lord comes back. And also, in case you didn't know this, may I, just, I, I kept saying that in the first service, in case you didn't know, America's not the only country on the planet. I just remind you because I've seen the globe. It's just one part of it. There are other countries that God is sovereign over too. So let my aim be clear this morning. I want to look at this text And then I just want to pray a little more time. I'm going to move through this swiftly so we can just spend a brief moment in praying together before we take the Lord's Supper together, that meal which signifies our unity in reflecting these things to be true, the Lord's death, His resurrection, and His return. And so questions for me, these two are really just practical as we come to what's going on in our world And it's really these two. What are we, Christians, supposed to do about politics, followers of Jesus in the world? And two, and I'm not going to necessarily answer these questions directly, but indirectly. And two, what are you going to do when you leave here today? Like, what will your response be to all that you'll see unfold in the next weeks? Vote, don't vote. And here, this is version two. Some, Some of you are sitting here and going, he didn't say this in the first service. Nothing clear for me, as far as I can tell in the scriptures that would alert me to think that you're sinning if you vote or don't vote. Just getting that out of the way. I would not agree with an obligation for a Christian. Some people say it's an obligation for a Christian to vote. Show me the verse and I'll believe it, but I've just never seen it. Now there is an obligation for Christ followers to do things that influence our culture. But it would be a leap to say that voting is an obligation, a Christian one from God's word. On the same note, If you're not done hearing me for this morning, not voting may mean passivity towards cultural change altogether. And so we live in that tension, right? But what changes culture? That's the overarching question. What will the only thing, what is the only thing that will bring about redemptive change in the culture? And if you're thinking about the Sunday school answer, now would be a really good time to say his name. That's right, Jesus. He's the only thing. And our duty is to make his name known as believers and to point towards him as the only savior and hope. And we do that through all spheres of life, including our views politically. And I think this text in the Psalms helps us focus in on the right thing. And there's such clarity in it for what we are to do and what we are not to do. And so I'm just going to give you 10 things from Psalm 146. In your bulletin, there's a little fill in the blank for each one of them. 10 things. There's one giant overarching command in the beginning, and then there's one don't do and one do, and then seven things about who God is that I just want to bring to light this morning. And the first one is this. Praise God while you have life. Verses one and two. Praise God while you have life. Let's read this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. O my soul, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In other words, while you have breath in your body, you're supposed to praise God. Why? Not because it's some Christian duty or obligation, because he's worthy of it. He's given us everything. You see, the first and last phrase of this psalm is praise the Lord. This makes it plain and clear that God's people are to worship. Their whole lives ought to be about worship. The theme here being that the Lord's reign. His sovereign reign makes him a sure hope for his people. He's praiseworthy. And so our life ought to be like Romans 12 when it says that our life should be a living sacrifice, always bringing worship to the Lord. You see, these opening verses are an invitation to all of us. Like pointing us at God, inviting us, and then each of us has to apply that, if you will, individually. Like how am I going to respond to this charge for God's praise, praiseworthiness, and it sets the tone. Each morning when we wake up, we have a decision to make, don't we? Some of us run right to culture and media inputs, so, social media, some of us run right to breakfast or head out, but we ought to run to gratitude for the life we've been given. We ought to, ought to run to praise, and it sets the tone, and so I asked this question, is your life one of gratitude towards God? And I ask that because there's been so much that has been against that this last year. In this moment, are you grateful to God regardless of what's happening in the world around us? If we're being honest, we have had so much to complain about the last year. I mean, my list was long too, and I did my fair share of complaining. We had so many challenges against us. And even still, was it one of gratitude or one of just whininess? And now two days away from what some of us think is the end, and it may be, I was kind of hoping Jesus would come back in between services today. (laughs) I am very open to that. But are you still found praising God? And here's the bigger question for all of us, will you be praising God no matter what the outcome of the election is? That's the question for the American today, right? It's so polarizing. Will you be praising this God from Psalm 146 in the same way? Now the psalm says, while you have life, you ought to be praising. So it's not circumstantial. It's not like, oh, as long as everything is is content-based. It's not contingent on my contentment. While you have life. Why? Because God is infinitely worthy of it. And Jesus Christ came to die and redeem sinners, to reconcile us to a holy God so that we, by his grace, by his love, by his gift, can have life. When you, when you mature as a Christ follower, you start to be a, really aware of your rebellious heart against the holy God and much more thankful for a salvation that he's given you in Christ. That's just over time that just develops. And we who have experienced the blessed gift and transformation and renewal of life, the spirit in us and the hope for eternity have been given a gift. And we ought to praise God for it. And that directs our attention towards him and not away from him, which is why the psalmist counsels us away from whom many have put their faith in. Number two, do not look to any man to save. Look at verses three and four. It's very clear. Put not your trust in princes, my insert, or presidents, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Hebrew, no. It means no. None. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. In contrast to the Lord who is worthy of salvation, men are mere mortals who rise and fall. And it's, it's in fact vain to put your trust in earthly princes, presidents, leaders, kings, kings, Why? Because not only do they have limits to their power because of their mortality, it is God who puts them there. His word teaches us that. So they're limited, which means they're fallible and they're weak and they're confused when they make decisions at times and they do the best they can humanly, but they have been there only because God has allowed it. There's someone behind the curtain, if you will, And we have to see it that way. And so many of us are caught up in like, baby's crying. God is in charge of all of it. I said the other day in my moment of human weakness, I looked at Carrie and I said, you know, I just think this candidate's going to win. I don't think this candidate's going to win. And she says to the preacher, only if God allows it. That's where I got that point from my sermon. She was right. If God wants it to happen, it will. Governments, armies, they have their place in our culture properly, but they're merely human power in what is not ultimately decisive in the world that God rules, which is not a different world. It's the same world. Look at verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So think about this. Whoever gets into office, whatever plans he has, whatever plans you're voting for, plans you think will come about, it has limits, and it actually is just going to be vaporized. It's going to perish. All the good plans, all the things you think, oh, well, this happened, and this could happen in our country, and this has got to happen, all of it's gone, limited, limited. Finite, not infinite. There is only one plan that stood the test of time that's eternal. And that's God's plan to redeem his people. From the beginning of time, before we were even a thought, God covenanting to man with his son and the spirit, I will save these just ridiculous, sinful, rebellious, angry, divided people from my people. And we have all of that to look forward to. It's the only thing that we can know for sure and place our faith in, which is number three. Here's the do rather than the do not command. Hope in God and find help from God. We need both of those things, hope and help. Look at verses five here, verse five rather. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We want blessing. We want that. And here it says, blessed is he whose hope is in God, whose help is found in God. That's very personal, right? If we are not to put our trust in world leaders, who then do we trust? Jesus Christ for hope and help. That is who we look to through all the mess of who we are trying to like maybe place our faith in, even though we say, well, I don't really But we do And it's like sorting that out and pushing towards the king of glory and saying, he's the one who has my heart. And each person has to decide whether they place their faith in him for that or not. Each person decides, who does my trust go to? Is it the king or is it this little king? Little baby king, that's all they are. You like that? Little baby kings. This is personal and he's our only help. Help. Jesus Christ and only hope and that's where you find blessing in knowing Jesus Christ identifying with him in his death suffering like him as a believer in this world that it's not our home right and then identifying with the power of his resurrection knowing that because he raised was raised to life we too one day God will restore the whole earth and make it new and so we can serve him with humility and joy we can serve others even in tumultuous times with humility and joy. We can do our part in the kingdom of God as believers with joy as we wait to meet him again. And if you have never trusted Christ for salvation and you have misplaced your trust anywhere else, including yourselves, which we're just notoriously good at, today is the day of salvation. An invitation in Psalm 146 to place your faith and trust in God his savior, Jesus Christ, his son, the one he loves who sent him to die for our sins. And it's an invitation. Jesus wide arm says, find your hope and help in me. And he saves and redeems and restores and gives us peace like nothing in this world can offer and the eternal security that he offers. And how do I know there is nowhere else this is found? Because of the rest of the text. It says seven things about who God is. His sovereignty being number one of those seven and point four. God is in sovereign control. Look at the beginning of verse six. God is in sovereign control who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. You wouldn't see maybe sovereignty, but this is the creator God. Everything exists because God created it and, ha- and calls it to being. He holds it together. Right? Colossians 1. All things in him and through him. Nothing Happens, listen to this. Nothing happens unless God allows it. It's plain and simple. Nothing surprises him. The outcome of this election, not a surprise to God. He has it even, I would say, determined. Your life, the individual things that you struggle with, the things that you didn't see coming, the things that were just like out of left field, and wow, I did not see that happening. Not a surprise to God. This is more than just his foreknowledge. This is about him bringing glory to himself the way that he desires. And this is for us to put our complete faith in. We exist because of him. And our days are numbered because of him. We have to know this. We have no control. Think about it. If this God creates all that comes to be, do you really think he couldn't just... Now, we couldn't because of his word, right? He's already promised to restore his people. But this God is all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign over all of it. Number five, God's character is faithful. Look at the second part of verse six. Not only is God in sovereign control, but he has to operate in faith to his own character traits. Here it says, who keeps faith forever? Wow, that. Think about a politician if they had that as their slogan. You wouldn't believe it, would you? You'd be right not to. Because God is the only one who can keep his word fully. His character causes him to King we know all too well with the people who talk about wanting to be president, right? And here's the God of the universe who says, I keep faith to my word. I'm never going to change in that. I can't contradict myself. God cannot lie. When everyone else fails us, God cannot Impossible for him to do that. And what proceeds from that is a list in Psalm 146 of groupings of weak people who God actually cares about. And I want you to think politically about policy as we journey through this next part of of this list in Psalm 146. I actually want you to, because many of us have strong convictions about this as we decided who to vote for, who we're not going to vote for. And here's God's heart in Psalm 146 in policy. Look at number six. God cares about justice and the poor. Verse seven. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. Did you know that God cares more about those things than our next president? Did you know that? God cares about executing justice justice and caring for the poor more than any program or policy could provide. He cares more about that, and he'll follow through on it. And he'll care for those who are hungry, and he'll give them daily bread as he does. And he'll execute justice for those who are oppressed, of which there are many in our world right now, even in our country. And God knows, and he cares. And so you say, well, okay, I understand what you're saying, and you're going on about this, but it doesn't really cover... What if the next leader who gets in office is the wrong one and we experience oppression like never before in the culture? That's why this is so crucial. What if, I would say, only if God allows. He's still going to act true to his character. Do you know that God is above all of that what if stuff we throw into this game? God knows He will execute justice so you and I don't have to worry and we don't actually have to take it into our own hands. What if the market crashes and we don't eat? What if it's socialism, socialism, socialism? Do you know that God is the same God who provided bread and water for those winers? Same God. And when I say winers in Israel, I'm talking about you and me being part of that. Same God who extends his hand towards people, even in their grumbling, he says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Not because of us, but because of him. He's good. God cares about that stuff. You have to see that here. It is him who sets the prisoners free and him who opens the eyes of the blind. That's what he does. He reconciles people to himself. Because number seven, God is a God of redemption towards the humble and the righteous. God is a God of redemption towards the humble and the righteous. Look at verse seven there as part I read in verse eight. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Those are spiritual things and sometimes even physical things. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. It is God who redeems the lives of the broken people. It is he who loves his people dearly. He lifts us up, those who are humble, those who bow down before him in faithfulness. And God cares about the humble and the meek, and we will rise, maybe not in the way that you and I think, the way and the time that we think it ought to happen, but his children will rise. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's God's word and promise to offer salvation, reconciliation, and redemption and then raise up in the last day his children. This is not our home. Number eight, God cares about immigrants and the fatherless. Look at verse 9 at the beginning there. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. He sees both of those people groups. He sees all the things that your passion and conviction about, how our country feels about immigration, how our country feels about abortion and foster care and all of those things and, and educating and rising up good fathers and good homes. He knows those people groups. They're under his care. And even if politics or who's in office brings about great struggle for those people in those groups, God cares and he sees. I think of Hagar in the story, if you know it, in Genesis 16, cast aside by Abraham and Sarah, kind of lonely. And as you read it, you can just kind of like weep with her in this sense that God is not present. And what does he do? He shows up to her. And what does she call him? The God who sees. That's what she refers to him as, because she felt his very imminent presence with her. That is the same God we worship today, He will accomplish his will. And we know this because number nine, God will bring judgment to the wicked. Second part of verse nine, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. If you're like me, you might watch some of this stuff unfold in our culture. And you just, as a believer that loves God's word and wants to please God, and it just bothers you with the holy righteousness, holy anger rather, that just says like, ah, just this world is so wicked and anti-God. Guess what? God will bring judgment to the wicked. And you can be confident that while it seems that wickedness and evil people seem to thrive now for a time and even hold power over God's people, as it seems, that God will bring all of that to an end one day in judgment. God has that already planned to bring all of that to an end. The wicked will be judged the righteous will be avenged and we need not worry taking matters into our own hands about these things. Several times in the scriptures does it say, vengeance is mine, saith, insert your name? Nope. The Lord. He'll bring it about. And finally, for this reason, number 10, and I want you to leave here, take this, into this week, God will reign forever. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. That's the generations that walk through different elections. That's the generations that will walk, if the Lord wills, more elections. Whatever it comes, God reigns forever. And we can be confident in that. This is our hope. And you can't just say today, November 1st, 2020, yeah, I believe these things, but I just, I, I, just, I have concern... You can't do both. You can't sit and worry about whether America is great again or whether it will be great again, Whether it, whatever it was great before. You have to see God reigns forever. He's on the throne. He's in control. He's praiseworthy. He invites us towards himself. He saves us from our sin. He promises to restore us and one day to restore this earth and make everything right again. So guess what? You and I... If we are trusting Christ, guess what we get to do tomorrow? We get to rest easy. Guess what we get to do on Tuesday? We get to rest easy. Guess what we get to do on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday because I think this thing will take a while. (laughs) We get to rest because of who sits in the Oval Office. Not Psalm 146. doesn't say that. All of God's promises are true. He reigns and we have nothing to fear. And so in that, I want to be able just now before we take the Lord's Supper to quiet our hearts towards that and trusting Him where we're at. And I want to do this by just guiding you through the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know it well. But I just want to give you like three or four minutes of your own space to sit before the Lord and just pray. Pray for our country. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for yourself. Pray for your own heart in that. But here's what the Lord's Prayer says in Matthew 6. I'll have it there, 6, 9 through 14. If you want to turn towards it as a guide for yourself, you can. I'll use the, it's several times in the Gospels, Matthew 6 is the portion I'm reading here of the Lord's Prayer. And I'll just break up each phrase here so I can walk us through it. It says, starts with our Father in heaven. That's praise, right? Hallowed be thy name. Just start with praise for God. Maybe that's not how you come to Tuesday and the outcomes, but just start with praise for God. And then it says this, your kingdom come, your will be done as earth as it is in heaven. Pray for God's will to be done here as he desires his will in heaven. For that to come here, for the gospel to move through the nation, through our efforts as believers. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. Ask God for provision. Thank him for provision. He knows what you need. And this is election and political stuff aside. Ask him for what you need. He knows your heart and he wants to give it to you not everything you desire, but he wants to provide for it. And then this, these two, forgive us our debts. Use this space to ask for forgiveness for some things. I realize that these politicians are actually real people. And I've been guilty of it too, speaking slander or like anger towards them. They're real people that I think will account for as we say things. Isabella showed me a video of some kids talking about the, the presidents and the things they were saying. I was like, they heard that from the parents think about how you speak with careless words towards people maybe you need to seek forgiveness about the way you've treated this or lack of trust in god and also we have forgiven our debtors forgive those who sin against you forgive those who are your enemies forgive those who you might not want in office but they may be there and then it says this and lead us not into temptation friends don't take the bait in our world right now. There's so much hatred and divide and Christians are jumping into these conversations left and right. Ask God to protect you from that temptation and all others and then finally ask him to deliver you from evil. Pray for this. And if you're paying attention to the scriptures, you know in the Lord's Prayer the doxology was added. For thine is the kingdom, his power, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. You pray silently. I'll close us in prayer and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together just some space to sit before the lord now let's pray father in heaven we need your grace and your mercy and we praise you that you are god who is worthy of our praise you are a god who is faithful to his promises you're a god who is faithful to his word you are a god who covenants with his people you're a god who has invaded the son of jesus christ of our rebellion and you've chosen to redeem it to yourself through the person of Jesus Christ who was born in humility, lived a perfectly righteous life, kept a law that we can never keep as much as we attempt to keep it, we just can never keep perfectly and for us went to the cross despising its shame and took mocking and betrayal and beatings And died a sinner's death so that we could have a life. God, that is amazing. That is the good news of the gospel. That we who were without hope have been provided hope in Jesus Christ. And Father, that's the hope that is in our world right now because of your truth and your presence. There's no kingdom that could invade or destroy that truth. There's no presidential election or next president that could ever take that away. Father, the believer has hope and so I pray right now that you would instill and infuse hopefulness and helpfulness in our lives as we trust you in these coming days. Father, your word says we have nothing to fear for you're with us. And all of us know that's easier said than done but it's true. We ought not fear. All of this is under your care and control and so give us wisdom, God, how we react to it. Convict us by your spirit to be cautious in our anxieties to flee from them in fact because we can have peace and confidence that you are on the throne god keep us from the temptation of of dividing over this in, in debates with loved ones family friends neighbors who maybe we confess we have not been kind about father there's so much hatred and division in this world that you would cause us believers to bring light and hope and truth and peace, and harmony to that. Father, I'm praying for even our city that they would know that people who are here that are trusting Christ would be living differently than the rest of the world. When the rest of the world goes into chaos mode this week, God, there will be people that have strong, confident resolve about who they place their faith in. There will be questions that need to be answered from your word. God, give us ambassadors for Christ missionaries in our world confidence to have that resolve when people start freaking out we say there is a king he's on the throne his name is Jesus God help us to live trusting that you'll provide for everything for us all that we need and father even if there's oppression to come you are above that above that and beyond that and you see us you are the god who sees care for your church protect us from evil Allow us to trust that you will judge the wicked. And so, God, we pray and we come to you this morning and let's just pray this together as a people, the Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen.